week was uh, Halloween. It's a holiday where we celebrate scary things, and so I thought we'd talk a little bit about scary things today. And uh, I know that probably the scariest thing of all, uh, if you are honest, I think most of us have a little bit of a fear of the dark, right? Uh, raise your hand if you get a little bit of a fear of the dark. Okay, raise your hand if you're not honest and you also have a fear of the dark. Okay, there we go. Good, love it. Uh, so, a couple um, personal stories. So, I've shared before, I'm often here at night um, by myself in the building. Um, sometimes I'm here after the lights are out and I'm the only one around. And there are, you know, you think you're in the church, right? It's like, how much safer could you possibly get? But this is a big building and lots of empty rooms. Uh, and so there have been a number of evenings where I've been sitting in my office working on something, and no one else is in the building, and the lights are all off everywhere but my office. And, and I've heard this noise. And it, it comes from right outside my door, and it sounds exactly like a rolly cart, one of those plastic carts we have being rolled past the tile right where those name tags are. Now, uh, I have figured out what this is, okay? It is, just let's make the scary part go away. It is the sump pump. There's a sump pump immediately below the name tags, okay? But at night, you're not thinking about the sump pump. Uh, so I've been sitting in my office from time to time, and I've heard this sound like a rolly cart rolling across just outside my, orf- my office. And before I knew what it was, the first time I heard that, I just said, hello? <laughs> Nobody answered. So then I got up and looked out and didn't see anything, and I was like, did I imagine the sound? Probably not. That's weird. Whatever, I'll sit back down, go back to work. I'm not afraid of the dark. And then I heard the sound again like 15 minutes later, and I got up, and I ran out, and I'm looking around the church for someone, and I can't find anybody, and no kidding. At this point, I'm like, there's got to be somebody here. So I start walking through all the rooms of the building, which is probably not smart if I think there is someone here. But I'm not afraid of the dark. So anyway, I, I walk around. I can't find anybody. I come back to my office. Um, true story. Uh, this is the first time this happened. The, 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 the third time I heard the rolling noise, I was like, you know what, Lord, I'm not afraid of the dark, but I am going to work from home for the rest of the day. Yeah. Maybe you've had this experience uh, and somewhere else. Um, maybe you've had this even in your own house, right? Have you ever had the experience of being in your house and you're like in the basement, and you hit the light switch at the bottom of the stairs, and then you have to walk up the stairs, and as you're walking up, you're thinking, I mean, there's probably nobody here, right? I mean, there's no way there's someone, but you start walking a little bit faster as you go up the stairs. Uh, I I came across, this is really dumb, and my wife told me it wasn't funny and not to show it, but anyway, um, I came across this TikTok video of what we imagine is happening when we're at the bottom of the stairs and we turn off the lights. Uh, and so um, this, is, this is, you know, this guy imagining what's going on and the, the boogeyman that's going to show up. Can you just play my 13-second video? Boogeyman gets to the door and he's like, oh, you closed the door. I guess I can't get you. Okay, great. Uh, I want to ask four questions today. Uh, And the first question is, I want to ask, why is the darkness scary? And uh, I I got answers to all these. Um, 
But I, I do think that we recognize in those moments we're being silly, right? In those moments there isn't really a guy who's going to chase us up the stairs, and it's really the sump pump and not somebody, I don't know what I thought, pushing a cart around illicitly in the middle of the night. Um, we, we just imagine, right? Our, our brains are wired so that when we are in those dark places, we begin to imagine all the bad things that might be there just because we can't see them. But here's the, the hard truth. Um, there is real darkness in the world, right? It's not the boogeyman, and it's not Frankenstein and Dracula, and it's not, I don't know, ghost cart people in the church, um, but there's real darkness in the world. Um, there's storms and wind and waves that try to swamp the boats of our lives. Uh, there are um, people whose whole communities that don't believe in God and don't really want God in their communities. There are um, unclean things that happen in our world. Um, there, is, there is death in our world. There are tombs and places of the dead. Uh, and Scripture tells us there are like actual spiritual personal forces of evil that are out there trying to lead us astray from God. And in the midst of all of that stuff, um, I think when we're realistic about it, we recognize um, that the darkness is scary because some of the darkness is real and it's bigger than us. The man says his problems are legion. The demons in the man, it's not just one demon, it's a legion of demons. It's thousands of enemy-occupying forces. Uh, and this is a spiritual reality for this man, but it's also a physical reality for his world. Uh, the legions are the Roman armies, right? The, the thousands of troops that manifest the power of Rome, which has conquered both the region of the Decapolis, where these non-Jewish people are, and also the region Jesus came from, where He lives. Uh, they are a people that live under literal, um, physical, and also spiritual oppression. And we experience this. We experience uh, the realness of our darkness. We experience things that come from outside us that push in on us. We experience spirits of temptation. We have moments where we're tempted and we don't know why we're even considering doing something sinful and dumb. We hear voices of condemnation uh, and hopelessness and inadequacy that tell us maybe we're just not good enough. Maybe nobody really loves us. We have this, um, this fear, this fear of rejection, this fear of inadequacy, this fear of failure, this fear of not being loved, this fear of not being special. And we have we have outside physical forces that act on us too, right? We have abusive relationships. We have bullies at work and at school. We have active shooters. We live in a world where there are all kinds of external forces of darkness that sometimes seem bigger than us. We have internal oppressors as well, don't we? We have... Um, places where we look within ourselves and recognize we don't like what we see. C.S. Lewis, in his autobiography, Surprised by Joy, tells his story of, of moving from a life of atheism to a life of faith. And he says at one point in that journey, um, he looked inside. He says, for the first time, I examined myself with a seriously practical purpose, and there what I found appalled me. 
a zoo of lusts, a bedlam of ambitions, a nursery of fears, a harem of fondled hatreds. My name was Legion. We have other inflicted wounds, and we have self-inflicted wounds that are scary nevertheless. And sometimes we say, boy, all of that darkness in our life is so overwhelming that perhaps it's better just not to look too closely at it. Let's not look closely at the systems of oppression and evil in our world. Let's not look closely at um, our own sinful behaviors. Let's not look closely uh, at those things that tempt us away from God. Let's just stay distracted. Let's stay on the surface. Let's uh, not explore our darkness because who knows what we might find. The darkness is scary because sometimes it's real and sometimes it's bigger than us. I want to ask a second question. We got four. The second question is, why is the darkness scared. Why is the darkness scared? This is audience participation. What's the darkness scared of? Yeah. Yeah, the darkness is scared of Jesus. Right? It's a really interesting story uh, in the Gospel of Mark because we have two accounts of these cosmic battles between Jesus and the forces of evil. Uh, the first is um, the, the wind and the waves, and we've said already um, in Scripture, um, water is always a symbol of chaos and darkness. It's why Job defines the creation story as God um, barring off water so it can't come any further. It's why in the end, in the book of Revelation, we're told there's a new heaven and a new earth, and the sea is no more right? Because the, the sea is this symbol of chaos and darkness. Uh, and, and when the wind and the waves rise up against Jesus, um, it takes not great speeches or long prayers or magic spells to control them. He just has to say, hey, knock it off. And then um, we get an even more interesting story. We get the story of the demon-possessed man. You notice in this story, um, this is supposed to be kind of scary, right? I mean, we are in a graveyard in the, the region of the Gentiles, the, the people opposed to our people. We're surrounded by unclean animals. Um, but we'll come back to pigs in a little bit, but pigs have some other negative connotations. Uh, and, uh, and there's a guy possessed by demons who's got like super strength and is really terrifying and yet, throughout the whole story, it's the demons that seem the most afraid, right? The, it's the demon-possessed man who sees Jesus while he is still very far away and runs to him and throws himself down before him. It says he bows down before him. It's actually the word we usually use to mean worship. It's almost as though they are trying to worship Jesus, not because they want to, but because they don't get a choice. And then, um, do you hear them begging with Jesus? It's such an interesting story. They, they, it literally says they, they begged Him, please don't torment us. And then they beg Him again not to send them away. And then they beg Him again, let us go into the pigs. Like, if you're going to kick us out of this man, at least let us stay in the pigs, right? We, we, we don't want to be totally destroyed. And, and Jesus says, all right, you can go in the pigs. That's cool. And then what happens with the pigs? Right, they go into the sea, right? They, they lose their cotton-picking minds, right? 
I mean, they, are, they have this mind-numbing terror that causes them to run and destroy themselves and the demons with them into the sea that couldn't swallow up Jesus but can swallow up them just fine. Uh, I've told you before my, my favorite story um, in John Milton's Paradise Lost is in, in the, the war between the angels and heaven. So Milton envisions the, the story of Satan and his one-third of the angels going to war against Michael and his two-thirds of the angels, and it is like the coolest battle scene ever, right? Because the angels are angels, so they can't die, and they have like superpowers. So uh, Milton imagines them like, you know, they start out with swords. They end up with like throwing mountains at each other. At one point, Satan invents gunpowder, and so the the demons have guns, um, which is pretty great. But in the story, um, the demons and the uh, angels, not, nobody can die, um, but the demons can feel pain, right? And the angels can't even feel pain. Um, so it's this really interesting battle. On the third day of the battle, um, God the Father decides it's time to end it, and so He sends God the Son. And Milton says that as the chariot of the sun begins to roll towards the battlefield, that no one can see it yet, right? It's so far off that all they can do is hear the thunder of the wheels of the chariot of Christ rolling towards them. Uh, Satan and the demons, um, who have been having this amazing war throwing mountains at the good guys, do just what the pigs do in this story, right? They are so overwhelmed with terror, they don't fight Jesus, right? They're not fighting Jesus. They just book it. I mean, they just book it for the edge of heaven, and they jump out of heaven, and they fall all the way down into hell where they cower in terror and hope that Jesus just won't find them. It's this great, great moment. Um, This is what the darkness is afraid of, right? The darkness is afraid of Jesus. The darkness is afraid of Jesus. It doesn't mean that it doesn't try to fight. It doesn't mean that it doesn't try to um, claim every square inch of the territory that it has claimed, but it just keeps losing. And that's the story of the gospel of Mark. It's the story of Jesus reclaiming people and land and sea for God. And so, guess what happens if you're in the boat with Jesus? Guess what happens if you're with Jesus? Uh, The darkness becomes afraid of you. Now, I don't want to belittle this. I don't want to suggest that just because Jesus is in our lives, everything goes perfectly. That's not how these stories go. Uh, Our first story takes a little while for Jesus to wake up and uh, defeat the storms. And and the second story, uh, there's like a process, right? I mean, there's like a back and forth, and Jesus has a conversation with darkness before it's cast out, and some pigs have to die. Like, there's a cost to it. But with Jesus, we get to face the darkness And no, the darkness is afraid of us because we're with the light. With Jesus, we get to look at whatever is trying to oppress us, whether it's systems of the world, whether it's temptation, whether it's um, the lies the world has told us, whether it's um, our physical illness, whether it's trauma, whether it's loss, and we get to say, hey, um, whatever you think you can do, Jesus is going to get involved on my side, and you're going to lose. And so... um, The darkness is scared of Jesus, and the darkness is scared of everyone who He is with. And so all 
um, that we do when facing the darkness, or the first thing we do is we just pray for Jesus to rise up. We do what the disciples did. We say, Jesus, in the midst of this horrible thing happening in my life, I'm not pretending it's not real. I'm not pretending it's not horrible. I'm not going to say it's part of your will. I'm saying, hey, I want your will to trump its will and defeat it. I want you to rise up and make the storm stop. Okay, why is the darkness scary? Why is the darkness scared? Um, I got two more questions. Why is the light scary? I don't know if you noticed in the story, um, everybody's scared of Jesus too. You notice this? I mean, after uh, the disciples are like, Jesus, don't you care that we're dying? Like, our boat is going down. Jesus is like, yeah, I care. Hang on. Done, done. What's your problem again? And they're like, oh, you're like way scarier than the storm. Like, I've seen storms before. I've never seen anyone do that before, right? I've never seen anyone say, storm, go away. Um, yeah, they're in awe of Him. That's really, that they're just scared out of their minds. Who then is this that even the wind and the waves obey Him? How has Jesus tamed the wind and the waves? Uh, and then we get um, the second story, after Jesus casts out the demon, um, He is um, sitting there. The, the man who had the demon is sitting there at the feet of Jesus when the crowds come up and all the townspeople from nearby who know about this creepy guy in the tombs come along. And uh, they come up to this guy and they say, holy moly, we tried tying that guy up with chains and shackles and he would like just break free and he was just so scary, and now like he's sitting at Jesus' feet like a totally normal person. Who the heck is Jesus that he can do this? And they ask Jesus to leave, and it says they're afraid of Jesus. So I think there are a couple things going on here, both for the disciples and especially for the crowd. Uh, I think first and foremost, um, people are afraid that they're going to get tamed too, right? Jesus can tame the wind and the waves. Jesus can tame uh, the demons and this broken man and make him whole again. Um, and I think it's great, Jesus, if you can get rid of the storms in my life, but I'm not sure I want you to, to tame me completely. I'm not sure I'm willing to give up control over my life. I kind of like being in control, Jesus. I kind of like the direction. You know what? Ooh, hey, Jesus, let's make a deal. I've got like three or four things. If you could take care of these three or four things, and then you could just leave me alone, that would be awesome, right? Because then we'd solve my problems. I don't want to deal with your stuff. Let's just solve my problems, and then, well, you know, I'll call you when I need you, Jesus. I'll keep you on speed dial. See, I, I think um, Jesus is scary because He's not content to let you keep part of your sin. He's not content to um, be part of your Savior. Um, the light is scary because Jesus wants all or nothing in your life. Jesus wants all or nothing in your life. He's not willing um, to compromise and say, hey, I'll take what you can give me. Um, Jesus wants everything. And either... Um, he gets it all. Either Jesus is Lord of all or He won't be Lord at all in your life. 
There's a, a gentleman named Calvin Stowe. Calvin Stowe was a professor of biblical studies uh, and was vastly outshined by his wife, who was Harriet Beecher Stowe, who wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin. Um, but at one point, uh, Calvin Stowe and his wife were in London, and as she was doing this huge speaking tour, he was preaching on Anti-Slavery Day in London. Uh, and uh, as he preached to this large crowd, he told the listeners in no uncertain terms that they were hypocrites. They were proud that slavery had long since disappeared in England, but 80% of the cotton that was picked by slaves in the southern states was bought by England. So Calvin Stowe said slavery would die in America if England would boycott cotton and went on to ask, are you willing to sacrifice one penny of your profits to do away with slavery? And he got booed off the stage. Because sometimes um, we just want a little bit of Jesus, right? We just want a little bit of Jesus. Sometimes we don't want to give up what we have um, and face the challenges of what real faithfulness looks like. Sometimes in this season when we're thinking about stewardship, let's be honest, sometimes we value our stuff more than the people that we could serve with it. Sometimes we value our possessions more than the good God could do with them. Sometimes we think, wow, yeah, people are great, but pigs, pigs are where it's at. Let's keep the pigs, get rid of the people. And so I think Jesus asks us today, um, what are we trying to hold back? Right? What are the parts in our lives where we're saying, ah, you know what, uh, a little bit of light is good, but too much light is scary. Uh, I, just want, I just want some Jesus. And what would it mean for us to say, Jesus, I don't want you to be just part of my life. I want you to be all. I want you to be Lord of all, because I know otherwise you won't be Lord at all. Okay, I got one more question for you. Um, can you guess what it is? We got, why is the darkness scary? Why is the darkness scared? Why is the light scary? Why is the light scared? Um, this is a trick question. It's not. The light's not scared, right? There's nothing that scares the light. Jesus is in the midst of one of the most epic storms of history. I mean, we are like the Master and Commander movie has nothing on what's happening in the Sea of Galilee. As the boat is beginning to go under the water, what is Jesus doing? He's taking a nap. Okay, now I can get behind this because I'm very pro-nap. Um, but he's just not scared. What would he be scared of? right? What could the storm do to him? I mean, he's the guy who invented storms. He's the guy who invented water. He's the guy who invented earth. He's the guy who invented everything. What could the storm… The, the worst that Satan can do is laughable to Jesus, right? So, the, the challenge for us is that we're more like the disciples than Jesus. Of course we are, right? We're on the boat and we're saying, hey, the storm doesn't seem quite so laughable to me, Jesus. If you could get up and sort this out, I'd really appreciate it. And Jesus does. And I don't think Jesus is upset that they ask Him to get up and solve the storm. He knows they're not able to do that, right? I think Jesus is upset because they're so afraid. You notice this? Jesus says, why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? Jesus is not saying there's not darkness. We know darkness is real. We know darkness is bigger than us. He's just saying that the one in the boat with you is bigger than whatever the darkness is in your life. 
And so Jesus says, hey, I want you to, to like, be aware of it. I want you to respond to it. I want you to ask me to get involved. I just don't want you to live in fear of it, right? I don't want fear to be the defining factor of your life. Now, I had a conversation with somebody in the church this week, and we were talking about a possible medical diagnosis, and I played this game. I don't know if you've played this game before. I played this game where I wanted to ask if it might be cancer, but I didn't want to say the word cancer. Have you done this? And so you dance around it and you hope that they will get what you're asking without you saying because like saying cancer is such a scary thing. And afterwards, it wasn't cancer, by the way, praise God. Uh, and afterwards, I thought, what a stupid thing for me to do, right? Like uh, c- cancer is awful. I mean, cancer is awful. It's evil. It's darkness. But like what's the worst that cancer can do? I mean, it can kill us. I don't know if you've heard um, but death is not as permanent as it used to be, right? Uh, I don't know if you've heard, but there was this guy who got killed, and he came back, and like the whole reason we're here is we think we're going to come back too. And so the idea that, that even death, which is like one of the worst things that can happen, could cause us to live in fear kind of doesn't make sense, right? Because the one in the boat with us is bigger than that. Um, Hebrews says, since therefore the children share flesh and blood, he himself shared the same things so that he might, through death, Destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. In other words, darkness is terrible and evil and I hate it, but I'm not scared of it and I won't be enslaved by it. And storms are real and spiritual evil is real and selfish people are real and so are our sins, but Jesus has saved us from all of it. The Christian life is about freedom. The Christian life is about Jesus setting us free. We don't have to be scared because we're free. At the end of the story, um, we, we get um, this really weird moment, this really weird moment where Jesus is um, talking to the man He has healed. I don't know if you noticed this, but in the story, um, people keep begging things and Jesus keeps giving it, right? The demons beg and they get what they want. The townspeople beg and they get what they want. The man who is healed begs and he doesn't get what he wants. Did you notice that? He's the only guy in the story that doesn't get what he wants. He's also the first guy in the story, other than the 12 apostles who have been told by Jesus, I want you to go tell everybody what you've heard. He doesn't get any theological training. He doesn't get to follow Jesus for three years like the 12 apostles do. He has like one meeting with Jesus. I don't know if it lasts minutes or hours, but at least part of it, he's literally out of his mind. And Jesus is like, I'm going to send you to be an apostle to everyone who's not Jewish in the whole world. Go, good luck. But here's what the man has. He knows that darkness is real. He knows Jesus is bigger than the darkness. He knows what it is to be consumed by evil and to be set completely free, and so he is all in with Christ, and he wants to let other people know what freedom looks like. I'm just going to skip ahead a little bit, but in chapter 8, Jesus comes back to this region to preach again, and they don't kick him out. 4,000 people show up to hear Jesus preach. You know how they heard about Jesus? This guy! right? This one guy who never went to seminary or Sunday school, he hasn't been to church yet. He's not Jewish. He's never read the Bible. He met Jesus one time, right? But he knows real darkness. He knows what's bigger than darkness. He's all in with Jesus, and he wants other people to be free. That's all we're asked to do, 
That's all it means to follow Jesus. It just means to say, go tell how much the Lord has done for you. Let's do that today. Thanks be to God.